Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Uncensored the CMO. Now, one team absolutely on fire at the moment is the Widening Kennedy team on McDonald's in the US. They've been producing some of the world's most effective, most fame building work out there. Famous orders, as featured in, I'm sure you have seen it. So I'm over at the Widen and Kennedy offices, catching up with Taz and Brandon, the team behind this campaign, to find out how they did it and just how effective it is and how it's driving business results. This is a really cool episode. There's so much to learn from it, and I know you're going to love it. Welcome to the show, gents. Thanks, John. Thank you very much. Well, just for the audience to uh, get to know you, I thought I'd start with a couple of questions for both of you just to kind of find out a bit about you. Um, so, Taz, I understand you started your career at BBH in London. Is that I right? did. Yeah, I spent the first nine years there. How does BBH compare to Widen and Kennedy? Because all the debate about, you know, London agencies versus New York agencies, what can you tell us about the difference between the two? You, you know, they, they were founded in the same year. So 1982, both stayed independent for a good 30 years until those guys sold out. Um, but, you know, and, 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 what's, and they put creativity at the top, right? I think what was that first BBH belief that the the power of creativity and the primacy of the idea? So it's all about ideas. You know, it's where I learned my love for the creative product, for interesting people. But there is a, there is a difference in cultures. You know, I, I think at BBH, they talked about processes that liberate creativity. And at, here we're a bit scared of process. We're scared that process can get in the way of creativity. Uh, over there, you know, I think an interesting analogy was I remember Bogle once said, you know, I want us to be like consultants, right? We go in there, we're like McKinsey, right? Don't don't be, you know, silly and stuff. Here, it's like, be stupid, ship of fools. I, I remember doing the first pitch, I did the Ford pitch, and I turned up wearing a blazer, and they laughed at me. They went, oh, Taz got a blazer on. Look at that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they were all in hoodies and Nikes. And I went, oh, of course, because I think you were saying this with Heg, with Heg ironically, the other day. It's like creativity is what we're selling. That's all we have. And that's the only thing that clients can't do, right? So don't go in there looking like them. Go in there looking like that thing that they're scared of, but need. And that, you know, and that's, that's really the, the difference, I would say, the big difference. Yeah, I love it as, as a client. I love going to agencies because you, you can kind of dress like them. So go, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to be like the agency for the day rather than have to sort of wear the suit to turn up to the, you know, the meeting with your customer sort of thing. Now, we're going to be talking in a minute about famous orders. So give me your, what would your order be for McDonald's? Uh, always been a Big Mac guy. So Big Mac, fries, and then strawberry milkshake for me, which always takes me back to going shopping with my mum when I was about eight and she just wants to shut me up. That's for me, that, my order. It's funny how it brings back memories, isn't it? Because chocolate milkshake for me was the thing. That was the naughty treat when I was a kid. And it just, it, it went, now I've got daughters, they're teenagers. That's what they would have. And it just triggers that beautiful that's our memory. Whole strategy. I'm sure. Yeah. We'll, I'm sure we will come on to that, that definitely. Okay. Bit. Well, let me go to Brandon. So, um, so how did you end up here? And you've been at the agency for quite some time. So, what is it that inspires you about the agency? Well, I'm going to sound like a caveman after that speech from Tass. Um, I mean, I, you know, I started at Saatchi um, right out of college. And back then they hired us like 25 at a time. You know, it was like you were in there like a freshman class and they would give you this big speech about how half of you won't, won't make it two years, a quarter of you won't make it five. That was a, um, it was interesting though. Like, you know, we'd work on Procter & Gamble, General Mills, J&J, these big brands where, you know, you really learn the nuts and bolts of what it means to be an account person, how an agency works. But I think, you know, 90% of account people, their story is kind of the same, whether you're running a company or, you know, still just five years in the business. 
the thing that was unique for me there that I think came naturally was working and relating with creatives. You know, I think at a really young age, they were sending me up to the 18th floor to talk to the creatives, usually to give bad news. Um, and, uh, you know, that, and I would kind of come down being like, yeah, I sorted it. We figured it out. And I think it was just, I came up there with the right attitude, wanting to not trying to be slick or sell and just, and I think that kind of idea pushed me once I learned something about the business after being there for a few years, you know, you start to get obsessed with, so how can I find my way into widening Kennedy, uh, <laughs> which took me a long time to do. I couldn't get arrested here. I would have meetings with people that didn't know why they were there or for jobs that had been filled weeks prior already, and they just forgot to cancel it. But then once I'd snuck in here, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's unlike any other place on earth. And so it's really has not been a chore to stay here this long. I mean, we were talking about fun, weren't we? And, and, you know, how would you describe the culture and that makes it so special? The, the, one of the most interesting things about this place is it's filled with so many people that could feel like they were the most important person in the room, but no one in this entire organization feels like if the cover of the book came out tomorrow, they'd be on the cover. We're all lucky to be here because of all the work that preceded us. And, and I think that, you know, People feel like at their best, they just hope they'd be a part of something that they'd move something on the shelf over to be a part of this great history. And I think that's rare for any agency to feel there's that much reverence for what it means to be here. And I just don't think anyone feels like they're the most important person here. That That's so true. Uh, I mean, again, I've been a few other agencies between BBH and here. And one of the things that struck me when I got here, maybe a few weeks in, I kind of went, I hope we can say this, there are no dicks. Like you just look around and go, there's just no these massive egos. There are very talented people, but the ego is in the service of the agency, right? It's like everyone's in it together, and that is a re that really makes a big difference for the culture and and the work. And do you, do you? I mean, what what do you look for when you're hiring someone? It's funny you mentioned Saatchi and Saatchi because so when I was at university, I, I I decided suddenly, having done a finance degree in my final year, I want to go into marketing and advertising, right? Which is a bit of a pivot. And uh, I went down to the library and I, and I dug out the Saatchi and Saatchi application form. I'm the same. Really? Well, parents, I think it's a superpower actually. I I, I love the the hidden kind of finance yeah. kind of training. It comes to use. for me. It was like Greek parents pushing me into finance. Dad has a finance background, did two internships, wasted two summers. Thank you, Chase Manhattan. And just couldn't feel it. I felt I was faking it. And I went to one talk. It was actually by Jeremy Bullmore, legend, rest in peace. And he said this one thing and he said, we're looking for the kind of people that like reading every section of the newspaper. And for me, it was just that trigger. I, I tell this story now to young people. I go, look, you've probably not heard of a newspaper, but, you know, bear with me here. But that was it. I was like, oh, there's a job for people like that. And like, that is it. That, you know, I never had to fake it anymore. That's very, I, I love that approach. It, when I got to the library, I dug out the Saatchi and Saatchi application form. It was 25 pages, completely blank. I thought, that's so clever. Like, mm -hmm. what do you fill it with? How do you decide? And do you feel it all? Do you feel not none of it? What do you, I thought that was really genius. Draw pictures. Yeah. Is it pictures? Is it words? Yeah. How do you know what they want? You know, how would you find out? Oh, that's very interesting. I think, I mean, I think the brief for here, when we bring people in, it is, it, it's quite often mm -hmm. like if you're, depending on what the role is you're looking for, you are no longer looking for them to fill a mold. I mean, I think, and I think that's something we were all trapped in decade, a decade ago. Now, you're looking at that person. What is the very specific thing that you're going to bring here? There is a there is an alert, you know, a, a filter we put on to be able to, will you work in this culture? Which means you cannot have an ego. Like it doesn't work. And this place will reject you like a bad organ if if you do. It just isn't room. But 
we really now we look for like, what is that thing that you're going to bring that no one else has? Because, you know, you just don't want to hire mediocre. And I think that's the the thing that I would say separates. Now, talking about hiring, we must get into McDonald's and let, let's start at the pitch. So what was the talk, what, what was the brief you guys got given right at the beginning of your relationship when you, you know, well, uh, well, talk to me about the pitch. So how did you, how did you convince McDonald's to give you the accounts? I mean, the brief was really simple. They, a, there was a great document, but in its essence, it just said, give us back some swagger. Like the brand has lost its swagger. So they were very cognizant that like they were a bit beaten up. They'd spent too long listening to the haters and forgetting about the fans. And it was a long pitch. It was like nine month pitch. And I have to be honest, we, you know, we, we openly tell this story. Like the first half went terribly, terribly. And we had a global CEO presentation and then we came out of it and clients fed back and they said, look, we're just a bit worried you don't really understand the brand. We're slightly concerned you don't even like it. And then the bit that really hurt, they went, you know, we, we think you might be a bit too New York, a bit too Brooklyn. Basically, the work was too edgy, too out there, too weird. Um, and so we were like, okay, they go, you know, we're from the Midwest. We did, you know. So we said, all right, you know, you know what, whether it's just some pitch theater, uh, you know, at, at worst, it would just be some pitch theater. At best, we could actually uncover something. Um, I said to my boss at the time, you know, why don't we just do this road trip? I'm going to do a road trip from Chicago to Atlanta. We quickly like worked out, you know, you could drive in Utah for a week and not leave the state. But like Chicago to Atlanta gives you the beef eating Midwest, the chicken eating Southeast. You can do six states in about seven days. So it gives you the most sort of bang for your buck. And so we just went out there, me and a, a, a actually an intern. That's a whole other story. But she joined Janae. And we just hit the road and we, and we started by meeting people in McDonald's, obvious place to start, but we quickly found, you know, if you're in McDonald's for lunch, you, you want to be in and out. You don't want to spend an hour and a half talking to us. So we just broadened it out. We, we talked to mums in Walmart. We went to fine dining restaurant, ended up in the kitchens with a chef. Um, the, my favorite one is we went to church in Alabama. We broke into a, a rock convention in Louisville and talk to some rockers. But each one started telling you personal anecdotes, right? The rockers, they're like, of course, McDonald's on the road. You know, I see those arches. We go, oh, of course. The mum in Walmart, her eldest, who was, I think, eight, nine, he quickly said, I don't get Happy Meal anymore. I'm a quarter pounder person. And we go, oh, you like, it's like you graduate from the Happy Meal. So, we, you know, we came back, we processed all these things. And we realized, like, all these personal anecdotes, there was so much power in them. We then called those fan truths, and that literally has been the heart of the strategy. You know, we we wrote a book of them. Literally, here's the book of fan truths. And so when the clients came back, maybe a month after the last meeting, we said, look, you know, we took your feedback to heart. You said you don't understand the brand. Worried a bit to New York. Okay, well, look, and we had it up on the wall. We had the book of fan truths. And we said, we think this is your brand. These are your fans. These are your customers. Could be product truths about eating a bit of cheese on the wrapper, stealing fries. It could be experience truths, you know, golden lights and midnight salvation when you're drunk and, you know, you see the thing. It could be anything, right? And they looked at it and they went up to it and they and they went, no one's ever done this before. And which again, just seems so obvious. 
And then that was it. We we really have not looked back. I would have to say, but, but most of my career has been client side and showing that you understand the brand. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds so basic. I mean, um, Richard Warren, who came on the podcast uh, a few months ago, he was um, he's done client and agency. So he's been, he literally went from being the agency to being the client now, which is quite ironic. And he was pitching for Halifax, which is kind of a regional bank in the UK. And he decided to go down to one of their local branches. And I think he kind of presented the creative idea to sort of Brenda, the you know, the, the manager in, in Halifax and and filmed her response. And actually what he did is he played that back in the pitch meeting and said, that's how your staff feel about the ad we want to make for you. And as a client, it's really hard to, you know, if that's what your, you know, frontline staff think about it, you've nailed it, you know. And I think so bringing in the audience, I think it's just like, must be like top tip for, you know, winning over a client. That, that's our number one filter. And we you see us on slides and <clears throat> can and stuff. Do real people care? That's all that matters, you know. And 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 unfortunately, this industry not going to go on around. Often, you forget the real people. You think about the industry people. You think about you know. You forget. You forget that like. Yeah, you, you you end up making work for the industry versus work for real people. 100%. I mean, we're not the customer, are we? I mean, that, that's what we always forget. You are not the customer. Now, so th- this is, am I right, but it's about four years ago, you win, the, you win the pitch, and then what happens? Well, I mean, early, the early wins were good because we, we, you know, we put that strategy to use very quickly. The first thing we did was for Quarter Pounder, and I think this was where you want to get into that idea of that fan, letting the fans do your speaking for you is an element of pride for this brand that I think they weren't showing for a really long time, you know? And I think the first thing we rolled out was this quarter pounder fan club where like we have these candles that you light all five of them for all five ingredients of a quarter pounder and it smells like a quarter pounder. That takes a lot of, you know, trust in how consumers or fans might react to that, you know? And, and it's a, it's a kind of a weird way to launch something, you know, it's, 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 it's a little out of the ordinary and fans loved it. And I think that reaction really gave us a lot of a lot of uh, confidence. The second thing that happened in that campaign was that was the first time we used Brian Cox, which was not necessarily our choice to be the voice of the whole brand at the time. That was our first thing out the door. But if you think about where he was at that point in time, that was right as succession, I think was sort of peaking. If you think about the pride that comes with someone like him saying, you know, talking about beef or onions or cheese, he's essentially saying... A quarter pounder with cheese is is delicious. Fuck off, you know, like, like that's his, like that's where he's coming from. And I think that's a bit of a happy accident. I think that his his voice turned into such a confidence for the brand, which is one of the main reasons we ended up saying, okay, he's going to do absolutely everything. And onions, done. him saying onions, onions yeah. is one of my favorite. <laughs> yeah, that I, I should add as well. So we told you about fan truths is the is the heart of the creative strategy, but a big part of that is also the voice. We talk a lot about voice at Widen. The voice is fan to fan. So so we say uh, again at Widen, uh, your voice is your belief plus your tone. So the belief that we have is that there is a McDonald's fan in everyone. You know, whether you're a Laps fan, a super fan, you know, a new fan, that we have the potential to be a fan. And then the tone is fan to fan, right? One fan speaking to another. Even when that's the brand speaking, we always go, is that fan to fan or is it brand to fan speaking down? And what that means is it's just, it's so human. It's true. It's personal. There's there's a great widened quote, you know, the best advertising is a conversation between two people overheard by everyone else. And fan to fan is is really the embodiment of that. That's beautifully put. Now, there was, there was a, a rather small event, wasn't there, that, 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 in, that impacted the world just after uh, you started working, of course, COVID or the pandemic. And um, I was looking on the system on database at the scores of your uh, creative for the last few years. 
and may surprise you to find out the best performing uh, ad that you've made as as voted by the public in terms of their response was actually your covid response ad so um i'll, I'll give you the score so we we mark the um every campaign out of one to five star five star being the best and five star putting in the top one percent right and we in fact we have to go to decimal places because everyone started going oh is it a good five star or a bad five star you know am i above them anyway so um so we actually take it to 5.9 so 5.7 which actually was the sixth we rather crazily during covid we tested every ad around the world that had covid because um we had a bit of spare capacity because <laughs> yeah, no yeah. one was advertising or <laughs> testing or advertising so we had a bit of time on our hands we thought i oh, know we're going to test every covid ad and just write some guidance about how to get it right and what i love about this campaign is you absolutely nailed it so as i say it came sixth out of 600 or so um 5.7 stars which is brilliant but what's amazing about it is that because of the brand and because of the fandom you talked about when you came out with that and i know i know the execution varied based on country and the circumstances in but it almost signaled the start of return to normality and it also showed a lot of generosity but to explain the campaign for those that might not be familiar with it because it, it's really quite powerful yeah so that one i mean that was when we um were giving away meals to first responders and i think there's this is a, this is a this is as good of an example as anything to talk about the power of the mcdonald's system because when we talked about doing that first of all the capacity that it takes to fund it to, to train the crew how to do it and to, to also do you think about just the process of um someone coming to get a free meal if to, how do we prove they're a first responder i mean that's a lot a lot that goes into it i'm thought about that actually yeah. <laughs> um, you come in uniforms <laughs> and i think but but the most important part of that was we wanted to give it to them in a happy meal box because that was just something that was a touch that would make people feel more special. And again, even that presents complications. Like adult food's not meant to fit in that. So th this we were breaking all kinds of rules. But the system pulled it off. They, I mean, what they do, once we sell an idea, what they go do after it is 10x what we, what we do on our side. But that was all about trying to figure out what is our purpose? What is our reason for being? And for, and for first responders, we are quite often their easiest, quickest thing to get. And so how can we find our way in there to do that again? And God, I think we gave away 10 million, yeah. 10 million mean, meals. Yeah. To your point about the system, I think we had a really small idea initially, like let's give them free coffee. And they went, no, 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 that's not enough. Let's give them free meals. We can make it happen. Yeah. And, and they did it in about two or three weeks, yeah. I think. But that, but that generosity, that's what we noticed in, our, in, in all our testing is that any brand that was showing how much they cared and actually being generous, was, you know, the response was amazing. I mean, in the UK, we had queues, long queues. It was on the national news, like the queues outside, the moment that, you know, at 6am on the day it was that McDonald's reopened. The Mac is back. Like, yeah, Mac is back. And, and there, you know, there were, you know, long queues, you know, people couldn't get out of the car park again. It was just carnage because it kind of signaled that pent up, you know, desire to get back out and, you know, have a McDonald's. If there's case. ever an advertisement for the power of brand. I mean, that was it. It was. It. Another part of that too was one of the executions in that campaign was to feature childhood pictures of first responders at McDonald's and then have them flip over to then reveal, you know, their current, their current state as, as first responders. And we, you look at that and you're like, how, how many of these exist? And we had way more than we could use that just finding, you no, know, not just people, but first responders, you know, as a kid at a birthday party at McDonald's, we found more than we could use, you know, it's again, power of the brand. Yeah, you're tapping into something very cultural out there that, you know, everyone's got a story, everyone's got a memory, and it's all quite powerful, isn't it? Well, talking about orders and first orders, uh, famous orders, I should say, <laughs> famous orders, first responder, famous orders, get it right way around. Um, 
Talk to me about that campaign because that that was quite special, wasn't it? And was it launched around the Super Bowl? Because that, that's when I, certainly I came across the famous orders. The first iteration of it, um, I'll do. I'll do. I'll yeah, yeah, the you do the ad. No, the first, no. the first iteration of it was the famous trays, which was Super Bowl right before COVID. So, the, and the, I think two interesting things came from that. One, you know, that was famous trays. So that was just shots of trays with the names of the people on the meals, and you know, but it was the first embodiment of no matter how big or famous you are, everybody has a McDonald's order, which is you know a, a, a truth that has now been taken and, and done in a, in a number of different ways. But that particular one, the most interesting thing that came out of that was that Kim K dips her nuggets in honey. That's that was all that was as, as great as the execution was. That's all that people were talking about, and um, that showed a fan. That it was as much about the food as it was about the celebrity. It was as much about you know um, fan reactions to that as it was about the cr- execution or the craft. And I think it was not what we thought was going to take it home. You know, we thought we thought it would be much more about the artistry of the music, thing like that. But that became what it was. And I think we took away that there is a fan interest in this idea and that whatever we put out, and this will happen in many of our subsequent campaigns, it won't be the thing you think they're going to do. They're going to take something else. But it quickly moved into something bigger in 2020. I thought the genius thing about the idea there is like, you know, before, um, you know, McDonald's might advertise the Happy Meal or the new salad or something like that. And then, but you're limiting the potential of it, right? And then you can go, well, let's advertise the Big Mac or Quarter Pounder. And that broadens it. But actually, if you're advertising what's your McDonald's, like that's everybody, right? So everyone's got their, got their favorites. Um, One of our main clients, JJ Heelan, she likes to say the great thing about the Travis Scott meal, and I'll get onto this, is that it's on the menu the whole time. It's not like it was there for a month and it's gone. Like if you want to go and eat like Travis, you can do that or like Kim or whatever. You can go there now and get a quarter pounder and bacon. And so, so I, so I've talked about Travis, I'll introduce him more properly. So so as, as Brandon said, you know, that was February. We did the Super Bowl spot. Then, like you said, the world went kind of nuts. We ran lots of messaging about, we blew up the calendar for, for a start. So everything we had planned or they had planned, these was, this was only about six months in for us. We got rid of, and it was messaging, you know, we're open, the drive-thrus are open, the lobbies are closed, stay safe. Then we started talking about the food a bit more. And then the CEO came with a brief and said, look, in Q4 this year, I want to I want to spend invest in marketing, and here's your brief. What would you do? We want a brand platform. We want to we want to drive sales, we build the brand, but also drive traffic. And we came back. You know, when you have such an open brief, we came back with a lot of wild ideas. That's that's what happens at Wider. You know, we we had introducing crazy products, the uh, Big Mac muffin, which is two. Uh, muffins stacked together. We were going to do um, what's Mount, that thing Mount in Dakota? Rushmore. Do a Mount, the Mount Rushmore, Rushmore yeah. of of McDonald's products. <laughs> anyway, in the end, after a few rounds of feedback, going, I think this isn't it. We went back to Super Bowl idea and we said, "Hang on a minute. What if we just took the order, one of those many orders, and just launched it for real and said you can come in and get the Kim K, the you know the Kanye, the whatever." And they loved that idea. And then we worked out who's the right person and Travis Scott, you know, bubbled up um, in terms of appeal to our target, in terms of just general dynamism, but but most importantly, just love for the brand, right? Like we don't work with any talent that doesn't have, you know, and, and if you're a celebrity, that love for the brand should really exist out in the world, right? If you haven't been snapped at the drive-through with a, you know, getting McDonald's or with a bag of fries or with a Coke, then you're probably not a fan because the number of photos that exist of celebrities. And so, and then what working with a fan means is they really care about it. They're not just, you know, they're not just shilling the product. 
they have their own personal memories. And for Travis, it was like, I've got the same order since back in Houston, you know, and then he wants to design merch that like his experience, his interpretation, his memory. And then you're, you're on a winner, basically. Yeah, it's a bit like the old advice. It's much better to let someone else tell your story than you tell it. I love you it. Know, that, that's a really good example of that, isn't it? And that's very, very powerful. So how did the campaign do? I mean, obviously, you know, sound, it, it, it's exciting. You've got, you got lots of celebrities involved. How's it actually, how did it perform? It went nuts. So, so the, 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 what, when we launched the Travis Scott meal in October 2020, remember, it was still, you know, COVID was everywhere. It, it's, almost, uh, it's almost like people have been starved of, a, of an experience out in the real... Uh, one of my planners said it was like a concert that you could, you know, it was the closest you get to a concert at the time. People start framing the receipts, the Travis Scott meal. That's like framing the ticket stub to your, to, to your experience. And yeah, we had lines around the block. We had, that was our version of lines around the block. We had, you know, we'd said in the ad, Travis had said, Tom Cactus Jack sent you, that's his nickname. And then, you know, the young people start filming TikToks and they just innovated on that. They start pl- playing his song, turning up, playing song. Or once it became a snowball of its own, they said, you know why I'm here. And then that became the call to, you know, the call to action. McDonald's sent a training to the um, to their staff saying, if someone turns up, either plays music or says, you know why I'm here, you know it's a Travis Scott. And they're like, we don't need a training. We know why they're here. And yeah, I mean, they <clears throat> sold out. They sold out of beef. They sold out of of Sprite and, you know, they sold out of lettuce. Like it just, it, it was, it, and when that, that's when we saw the real power of this brand. I think one other thing that came from that was one of the, one of the things we did that we had, the first time we had done that for a campaign was we made t-shirts for the crew. So every crew member got a Travis Scott meal t-shirt. Vicky Chancellor, who was the head of owner operators at OpNet, she told us the story. It's one of the first times she had seen her crew wear their uniform home. You know, normally they change before they they head out because there was a pride. Again, it was that that idea of pride. It, it, as much as we were talking about it for fans of the brand, for the crew as well, that was that was something they had not seen before. Which again started just we just started to learn more and more about what will work, and that was that's a big the thing. interesting thing. Sometimes we forget, don't we, in, in our kind of roles, is that actually you've got a number of stakeholders. You've got the franchisees who whose businesses are affected by in this case COVID and the recovery. Right? You got the staff again. You know, and they want they want to feel pride in what's going on. So it engaged everybody. Hundred percent. I mean, we often talk, don't we, in kind of in in our kind of circles about ideas that affect culture. But this is actually an idea, isn't it? You know, campaign that actually has got into culture and both, you know, reflected back by using the celebrities you've used and really made a difference, isn't it? When we saw a video of someone stealing the point of sale poster. Uh, that, was, that, was, that was not something that, that should be a KPI in a brief yeah, right? this is was, so good no, we, we have those the menu KPIs. Cards. Yeah. There, there's yeah. another one that you know again when we write effectiveness papers and stuff you know yeah you can have the brand tracking but more important for us is is all that reaction within the fans fan art is is one that we saw with Travis and then we've kept seeing repeated like the idea that young people just google Travis Scott fan art on online the idea that young persons can spend their day designing something that is basically branded art it's like a unofficial advert for mcdonald's that's because you've touched something there that they really care about now you talked about effectiveness i think you won fe's didn't you uh walks brand of the year as well ipa as well what were the uh you know financial results for mcdonald's off the back of the campaign uh gotta be careful what we can publicly talk about or what, or what's not. in the public but domain that you can it, talk yeah, about I'm, I'm trying to remember the public. The, the, the public domain is that the, the famous orders campaign, so we did four, three others, right, within 12 months. The BTS, 
we did Travis, we did Jay Balvin, and we did Sweetie, right? Those combined drove incremental sales of $283 million, right? So that is the, the headline result. In terms of Romy, they all had about eight times the average Romy. So it was, you know, I think those are both public. Uh, reasonable good day's work then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well done. Now, one of the other things that struck me about the campaign as well, we talk about long and the short of it, don't we? And how they do different things. But I guess a really good example of where investing in fame building advertising actually can have an immediate response as well. Because from what I understand from the case studies, that the response pretty much happened from day one of the campaign, didn't it? And continued. So it's a good example of being able to do both at the same time. That was something we talked about in the brief. So when the client said, we need it to build the brand, long-term and drive sales short-term. I went, look, yeah, I'm a big uh, Field and Binet guy. I go, look, guys, you know, that's asking a lot, right? We either do one or the other. And they're like, look, we, we have to do both. CEOs wants it. But we've realized, you know what, In a, at least with a category like QSR, you probably can do both. You know, every that is now the bar we set ourselves because it is, you know, it's a low cost, high frequency, low, low effort thing to purchase. It's not like a car. I wouldn't put brand and sales every time with a car. Um, and so we, you can do it, you know, with the right idea. And so everything we do has brand and sales in it, because even something that's a very transactional acquisition-based campaign, you can still have the brand in there. And so that's, that's how we see it. One of the, one of the uh, if I can say it like this, one of the surprise campaigns were, uh, I saw from you guys is as featured in. Uh, it, was just, it was one of those ones that just took off and everyone was talking about. And to describe, well, tell me where the idea came from and then describe it for anyone listening that can't watch, you know, what, 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 the, uh, what that campaign is all about. Well, so that, one, so that one began with if thinking about all of the different places that McDonald's has organically showed up in films and TV shows all, you know, since I guess we started in the, in the 80s, we started looking for them. And so, you know, the, the idea for that is to think about you know, this is what has McDonald's role in all of those films be like, what is the connective tissue? You know, why, why is something like that important? Because really the execution, the film, the craft of it is really just figuring out the right way to see, you know, uh, string them all together. But the, I think the idea quickly became, okay, so why do, why would people care about that? But really that it, it builds, it builds from the same truth of no matter how big or famous you are, it builds from that same truth that, you know, what McDonald's role in that? It's a uniter. It's a it's a it's something that can make us all feel down to earth, no matter what type of role it's being used. So we pulled that all the way through um, from from the films, from the TV shows, coming to America, The Office, things like that. But then all the way through to even to the packaging, where the McDonald's bag that had been featured in different things that was the hero, the Big Mac that was the hero. So it was just as important as any star in that movie, similar to the way Travis and the brand just as important. So. It was just it was bringing that insight to life in a way that we had already organically done, not placing ourselves all done just by the purpose of the of the filmmaker. I mean, it, te it tested on the system on day base insanely well. Everyone knew it was McDonald's. I think it's like ninety eight percent or something like that. I think that's another five star ad. And what it did, I thought very cleverly, was that you kind of you know it didn't matter what kind of films you're into. There's something for everyone, isn't it? Is you know in there the celebrities and loads of the feedback we got on the reports was oh I never realised McDonald's was in so many kind of famous movies that so kind of did a bit a bit of social proof didn't it in terms of you know showing the kind of company you keep i, I like the comment I, I was pleased you guys posted it i'm pleased at school well and, and i like that comment um i was going to say something about fame i mean I, I would say if you look back on the last four years the two key ingredients to this story this successful story 
is fame and memories, right? Memories is is at the heart of the of, of the of fan truths, right? You're tapping into existing memories and you're creating new ones, right? And and you're building those memory structures. So we all know that's how advertising works. And then fame, as again, IPA fans, emotional advertising is more powerful than rational advertising. Fame work has an even higher multiplier. So that fame multiplier, again, we're privileged. We work with McDonald's, right? It's very hard to get you know, your, your small sort of detergent brand to, to, to occupy the same space in people's heads. But fame is, is part of that, right? Fame, finding the right ways to insert the brand in culture that then means that people want to talk about you, want to post you, want to wear your merch, want to create fan art, want to take your packaging. Um, the BTS one, the bag was like a textile and that, and that was a global one. People all over the world were making like sneakers out of it. We're making uh, stationery. This this one lady made a bra. I don't know if I can say that, but and you know a, a nugget holder. Um, but like that's fame, right? That's when and and you see the the multiplier. So again, they have an amazing Romy model. All clients should have a real r- robust Romy and effectiveness model. But they can track the percentage of sales from earned media, and we saw it with Travis. Travis was. 10 times the average. And that's free. That's free uh, Romy. That's uh, that's kind of infinite because the cost was zero. All those famous orders campaigns, Cactus Plant, Grimace, which recently had 20 times the... And that's when you know that, again, fame is is the multiplier. I mean, you talk about, you know, you might be a small detergent brand versus a McDonald's brand, but I think what you've done very cleverly is understood what the brand means to people. And I think that's the power. So in a way, it doesn't matter what brand you're working on, but you've gone you've gone to really understand it and understand the role it has in culture and how to unlock that. And you've unlocked in a very consistent way. You know, and there's a risk in that too, because when you understand what this brand, especially as we are putting so much of it in the hands of fans, the way that these campaigns come to life, one of the things you are risking, in much the same way you saw with Kim K and all that kind of stuff, we you are not certain what is the thing they will grab onto. Like Grimace, for example, like, you know, the idea that that campaign, (laughs) you know, um, that that the TikTok trend was what drove so much of its relevance, you know, that wasn't necessarily part of the plan, but like a lot of the ingredients were there to give fans that control because so much of what we say is that, you know, I give JP, um, John Petty, a lot of credit for putting the words to this, which is our work, you have to let them find, fans find themselves in the work you have to let them find a way to make it their own. And any interaction is, you know, it, additive, you know, any interaction, a share, a repost or whatever, anything is additive to it. And I think that is that model that says we put a lot of the ingredients out there and see where they'll go with it. But that's because we have the trust in the fans and some of them go better than others. But yeah. It creates an interesting question, actually, from a client point of view, because if, you, if you're presenting, you know, presenting a finished film, right, as a client, I can go, okay, that that's brand guidelines and you know no one's going to complain about it right but what you've created there you're kind of letting go of your control of the brand aren't you and letting the fans you know basically you put your finger on it exactly I, I was just i don't think we've said share the pen yet um it's something we usually say pretty early but that's again from travis from everything we've done is relinquishing some of that creative control and that's that's the brand doing it. The clients have to be comfortable doing that as well you know and and they have been comfortable because they've been amazing clients so it's there's a great example. This isn't visual. Maybe we'll send you the, the slide. There's the merch we designed when we did Travis, you know, and, and our designers are amazing designers, but they followed the brand guidelines to the letter. We showed it to him and he went, no, nah, that's lame. I'm not going to wear that. No one's going to wear that. This I've done some designs of our own and they broke all the guidelines, the logo use, the colors, the 
We showed it to the clients and they went, oh, we can't do that. We went, no, I know this is asking a lot, but, but you know what? They saw the value in it. They saw the, 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 the authenticity and, and they got it through legal and those designs went out and they sold out instantly and they were reselling straight away. And so, and that again, with every campaign, it's like, how can you relinquish some creative control? How can, as, as Pratt was saying, how can you bring people into it? Don't, don't agonize over every detail. Just put those ingredients out there and then hope that some of them, you know, take off. It's a bit like, I mean, that, that's feedback for clients as well, isn't it? To relinquish a little bit of control and give and, them and, all the credit for, for, you know, for figuring out a way to, to make yeah. that happen. So yeah. how, so what was your advice to a client B or, or can you describe that what works about the relationship you have with McDonald's that allows this kind of creativity to flourish? And it, it all goes back to the way we found ourselves at the table during COVID. You know, because, you know, we we established this relationship at a time when no one knew what to do. And, you know, quite often, I think brands bring Widen in to solve all their problems. And we can act like we know how to do that all, some of the time. But we didn't know how to solve all these problems. So I think we learned very early on to be really honest with each other about what we knew, what we don't know. But it created a culture of saying yes that they started very early on. And um, they walk in to a to a meeting with us and and want to make something and want to do something it's not about if and i think when you start to kind of when you approach it that way together the level of trust of not thinking like are they going to like it are they not going to like it the trust is there the action is there like they, they've proven that time and time again so it's like we, we just hold nothing back and it, it's a very how, how do you sustain it because I know, I know i i've been in situations where i've i've been in that place where you know actually actually it's interesting you talk about a crisis because i think probably the the closest I've been to what you described is when I was on LucasAid with the Gray team, we were in a complete crisis. And and it meant we had to get out there, get, you know, get out of the office and get down to meet our consumers and really understand it, get into what does the brand mean. And I remember when the ECD pitched the creative platform, it was just, it was just on a post-it note. There wasn't some big song and dance. But because we had spent so much time together, like I knew it. I, when, I, when I saw a post-it note, I'm like, that's it. But that's so, you have to really work at that and protect it, don't you? Because that, that equally can start to, you can start to lose that quite quickly if you're not. One of the, I think one of the big misconceptions too about Widen, and I find this all the time when people show up on day one, they think that they're going to be issued weapons to go fight for the work and at all costs defend the work. And it's actually, it's a complete misconception. It's, it's quite the opposite. We care so much that our partners like it. We really want them to like it. All we want for them is to see what we see in the work. It's not about to get them to buy it or to or to make it. It's to get them to see what we see. And I think when that gets proven over time, you don't ever find yourselves in a position where you're making them do anything they don't want to do. I think they've they've trusted us in some times where they were uncertain, but I think we've shown enough times that we will we want them to like it and we want them to be comfortable with it that we've had to only push them a handful of times on things, you know. It's more like hand holding. Sometimes we need to hold hands and go into this together. That scares us a bit, but it's never like trying to force in something that that they don't want. And and now, I mean, again, it helps when you get some wins under the belt. The the CEO in the US, when we see him, he goes, "Guys, you haven't scared me enough. Scare me more. I want to be scared." And and like that's a great brief. Yeah. So again, that comes with trust when. You're taking these leaps together. And I mean, you talk about saying yes together as well and, and failing hard together as well. So like, has that, have you, you know, have you ever been in a position where it's not worked? I mean, we're talking about the stuff that's working, right? But what happens when it doesn't work? There's an example. There was some work that we had before COVID happened, right? It was planned for, and 
the first campaign Pratt described, QPC went great. But the second one was a Big Mac campaign that the world will never see. Don't ask for it. But the clients, again, you know, I think it helped. JJ had worked with Wyden for 10 years. There was a trust there. So she came into entity and said, you know what? This Big Mac, we don't think it's right. And we went, you know what? We also, we think you're right too. And we had a very honest conversation. It was two days before the world blew up, like March, 2020. And we said, look, here's why we think some of these, um, Carl, our global CEO, talks about uh, the first pancakes. The first pancakes you make are never the best ones. And and we think, you know, as we try to find the voice, we made some bad pancakes. Now, luckily for us, obviously not luck because the world was went into COVID, that work never saw the light of day. And so we were able to correct those mistakes together. And by the time we started coming out of COVID, we, we, we'd found the voice. We were hitting the right notes. We were doing the the work you mentioned, we did Travis. And so I think we'd never really looked back. But since there's, then. And there's two versions of that conversation. There's the one where you get defensive yeah. because we presented it, we sold it, we made it, we paid for it, where, you know, where you defend it. Or there was the one where you're like, shit, you're right. And it's not dissimilar to when in the early days when they said, we're not sure if you like the brand. Okay, we all love the brand, but you don't feel it. So why argue? It's, it's a tricky, I mean, as, as, a, as a, most of my career has been client side, it is a tricky moment that because, you know, you, you've put the brief in, it's two or three weeks, and, you know, and as an agency, you've put love into it. You're really committed to it and you've got a vision for where it's going to go. As a client, you see it for the first time and you just go, I, yeah. I, I don't feel this. And then and you go, how do I break the news? You know, it's, it, tough it's, spot. it's a tough one, that, yeah. you know. That is a key part of the culture here as well. You know, we talked about it at the start. It's the lack of fear. It's creating a culture where it's the fail harder that we have on a wall in Portland. And so, again, when they said we don't think it's good, the tendency isn't to defend it or you're going to get fired. The tendency is to go, yeah, you're right. We can be honest about it. We're not worried we're going to lose the account. You know, we, there's no one above us in a holding company going, say yes at every time, mm-hmm. defend the word, don't, you know. And that leads to this kind of relationship and this kind well, of You guys work. are prepared to go again, right, as well, and just keep going until you, until you get there. You get a lot of at-bats with McDonald's. Yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll have another something else right around the corner. Yeah, yeah, because there must, must be a lot going on. So, what, you know, so if you're a client listening in, what would your advice be to, you know, so you've, you've made some of the best work out there and, you know, had a really successful run. And a lot of people are looking, oh, I just want, I want to do what they're doing kind of thing. So what would your advice be to a client that's sitting there going, I want to create the environment for that kind of stuff to happen? I mean, one of the, we get that question a lot, actually, from, from other brands. And I think um, one of the biggest things is actually be prepared to make the change. And, and as we so- talked about, like we, we blew our calendar to pieces. And much like working with an electrician, you ask, like, well, I got this hole in the wall. Do you want me to fix this there? And it was at that point where we said, like, let's build this calendar back with the brand in mind versus everything else doing it the way we've done it for years and years and years. And that took a lot of courage for a system like McDonald's to say, yes, let's reorganize all of this. I mean, it takes, if you want things to be differently, you have to really be willing to make some of those changes that happen outside of your department in completely different rooms that you're not in. Um, You know, you've got the right people to make those decisions for you and you got to, you got to really do it. And then I do say like the the trust that you build with your agency, you can't just say trust your agency because it's not always the case that, that, that they've got your best interest at heart. 
but you can build that trust and find little ways to do it. Find one way to win and then go from there. It's funny, actually, you reminded I think from, you know, from, from a client's point of view, it's helped me sell the work as well. Because, because behind every client, there is a big organization, there's complexity, there's politics, there's operational things to consider. And, and I love some of the, how you've told the stories about how the, you know, franchisees or the fans really bought into it or, the, you know, the staff in the, you know, in the restaurants, it, that is so key. And, and I think so if you can think through your creative and how that rolls out in an organization and everyone's going to be part of it, I think that's, you know, a big part of it, isn't it? So it's not kind of sat in isolation. I, I was just going to add as well, you know, to your question, I, you're a client, what do you do? Don't feel that, it, you know, if you choose the agency with the most interesting creative idea, with the brave ideas, don't feel, okay, I've hired them, I've done the brave bit. Now, okay, hey, agency, here are my processes. I'm going to squeeze your work through everything that everyone else has ever done. I'm going to test it to death. I'm going to, you know, we are difficult to work with. Oh, I probably can't say that. But like, because we will go out there and go, okay, you need to do this testing, but is it the right testing? Are you are you optimizing the work or are you letting the testing make the decision for you? So you system one. Um, there you go. Shameless plug. But like, that's the thing, you know, I've always liked working with you guys because it's about emotion. It's about, it's about, you know, getting versus some rational, you know, metrics. Um, and therefore you've got to be that client that is prepared to, 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 to do stuff that makes you feel uncomfortable. And, and it makes the whole difference. It's, it's funny. I mean, thank you for the call out, by the way. Um, but um, we often say, you know, we're not here to mark your homework. We're here to get good ideas made. And, and actually, it's really interesting that I, I mean, I've actually learned in, in the job that I do, I'm not actually selling advertising testing. What I'm selling is confidence. And it's a confidence to get the stakeholders to buy into your idea. Because often I remember when I was back in client-side roles, we'd have a meeting like this and I would be so inspired by the idea. And I'm relatively creative as clients go. So I could imagine, you know, how, how exciting it could be. And then the next day in the cold light of day in an industrial park on the edge of London, in you know, on some cold, frosty December morning, I'm there presenting the idea to the board and going, this doesn't sound quite as exciting as I, you know, and they're, they're not getting this. And they're at me and go, you want to do what? You know, and, and actually what I realized with the System 1 test is it wasn't about the score per se. It was about giving the confidence to much more rational organization that are used to seeing, you know, how much do we make yesterday? How much do we sell tomorrow? And, you know, what's our forecasting like? It gives you the rational case for emotion effectively, you know. So once I worked that out, I went, yeah, I can see that now. Bring your agency in as well. Again, so many clients will be like, you'll present to marketing and then they'll do the job with a CEO, come back and go, no, he didn't, he didn't like it or she didn't like it. But we get to present Pretty soon we were presenting to the US CEO, global CEO. It's like, get them to present their ideas. You know, why are you trying to do that bit of the job? And also as well, when you're in that situation, you can also find out why have you reacted the way you did? So if you took presenting to the CEO, why, why have you reacted in that way? What is it? And you can work out whether it's just a, an executional response or whether actually the strategy doesn't work. You know, you can unpick it and uh, much more easy rather than translate it through the, you know, through the CMO, yeah. That's very good. Well, um, we're running out of time, but just maybe to end with, is there anything you can share about what might be coming up next? The only thing I will say is um, we were we we are really far out on this brand. We get way ahead of it, and so we have. I, I would predict the stuff that we've already got on the calendar for next year will be the cool the coolest stuff we've done to date. And I think it has everything to do with everything we've talked about about that trust, that rhythm, and these you know. We're selling, you know, we, we sell an idea internally with one slide and then we add, you know, and, and now we're bringing it to the brand and they're like, yeah, let's just find the right place for it. So uh, next year is going to be a 
really fun one. Watch the space. Well, 2024 is going to be exciting. And I was going to say, you know, we talk a lot about culture and subcultures. So I can say without revealing too much, you know, we played in certain spaces, streetwear, music. You're going to see some new ones next year as well. I think that's enough to say. Good tease. Um, well, that's a brilliant place to end. Yeah, let's Thank you. Mic off now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Thank you, John. Thank you for listening to The Uncensored CMO. I hope you enjoyed that. If you never want to miss an episode again, please do hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're watching on YouTube, click on subscribe there too. If you want to follow me, you can do. I'm over at John Evans on LinkedIn or find me on Twitter as well, at Uncensored CMO. Thanks again for listening and watching. I'll see you next time.